0: Well, it's almost the end of 2022, and this episode is going to be very timely. We're talking about taxes, and not just taxes, but what to be doing by the end of the year. So we bring in on Stephen Jarvis, who is uh, a CPA that we've partnered with. His uh, company's name is Retirement Tax Services, and he doesn't just help someone file their tax return. His big impact is actually being proactive about tax strategy throughout the year. So that's what we're talking to him about today is what should we be, we'd be thinking about as we only have about a month left in 2022, things that we've been doing, things that we've been thinking about going forward as well.
1: Yeah, and we cover a lot uh, of different things. I, I will tell you, really key in on, we, we're really talking about this with a lot of clients on the one section about uh, working with charities. We think that's a really big one, but we have a blog written uh, that goes through all this. So you can just read it and go back and highlight it and all that kind of stuff if, as you need to. You go to the website, pomwealth.net, go to the blog page and you'll see an article on 2022 end of year tax strategies and uh, make sure that you uh, check that out. If you would like to have a conversation, you can go to the top right hand corner, click on schedule call. Our calendar comes up. You're able to hop on a phone call with myself or Merce and we are glad to, to, to. it's a complimentary phone call, walk you through any strategy that we ever have talked about and we love to always hear from you. So please take advantage of that. But before we get into this particular episode, we have a very quick disclosure.
0: That's right. The information contained in this podcast is intended to provide general information only and not to be considered individualized advice. Different types of investments have different levels of risk. As always, please contact your financial professional for advice appropriate to your situation. Enjoy the show.
2: Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast, Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stancil and Merce Tariq.
1: Welcome, everyone, to our Secure Your Retirement podcast. Today, Merce and I are super excited. We have a returning guest. I would say one of our most favorite CPAs in the whole wide world, Stephen Jarvis. Stephen, thank you for coming back on and talking with us today.
3: Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be here. Uh, least Boring CPA is another moniker that I get at times. Really setting the bar high here.
1: Great. So to set the theme up of what we're talking about is really, as as we're recording this, and actually people are going to hear it, we have about one month left uh, in 2022. So uh, we'll start this off, and then Merce and I just have a few questions. But you know, you got one month left in 2022. Somebody might think, I've got all the way till April to worry about 2022. Are there any reasons why a person might start thinking, oh, wait a minute, let me take care of a couple of the end of year things before I get to January 1, 2023?
3: Yeah, so one of the things I've started telling people, advisors and, and taxpayers both, is that really tax planning should be a conversation we have 13 months of the year that a lot of people kind of fall in this trap of only thinking about taxes in March or April. And yes, that's April, uh, this year it's gonna be 17th, is the tax filing deadline. But the calendar year actually is a cutoff for a lot of uh, planning opportunities. There are certain things that have to get done within the calendar year, even though the filing deadline isn't until April. And so absolutely, we want to be having a conversation about taxes outside of April. And this last month of the year is a great time to just check back in and say, are there any things I need to take care of before the calendar turns over?
0: Yeah, I think for most CPAs, their their busy season, especially if they're filing on the individual side, their busy season is the first quarter uh, leading into the second quarter of the year, and then they have to handle extensions. But I think the uniqueness about what, what Stephen brings to the table for us and Retirement Tax Services is that his busy season is the entire year, because as soon as they get through the filing year, then they're starting to work on tax strategies that can be done throughout the year, uh, before we get into 1231 and on into the next year. So that's one thing we really appreciate about. Uh, it's not just about filing your tax return. It's also about, let's thinking about proactively, what can we be doing today to make tomorrow a little bit better from a tax perspective? Um, so what are some of those things as we as we approach? We've got about a month left in the year. What are some of those things that you're advising your clients on right now is, hey, hey, maybe you should look at this or, or make sure this has been done. What are some of those things, Stephen?
3: A couple of things that immediately come to mind, and these, of course, are going to be situational. Some of them won't apply to your listener. Some of them will. Some of it's dependent on age. But as we get close to the end of the calendar year, we always want to be thinking about required minimum distributions or RMDs want to make sure that those are getting taken care of. Of course, those kick in when we turn 72. So whether you are over the age of 72 or getting close to it, this is a good conversation to be thinking about and having. Make sure we don't miss uh, any important deadlines because for whatever reason, the IRS saved their largest penalties for our our retired friends out there and missing RMDs can result in up to 50% penalties. So that's a big one we want to be paying attention to. Uh, similar age range, uh, when we get to 70 and a half, we can start doing qualified charitable distributions or QCDs. Uh, another great tool that we need to make sure we're thinking about the calendar year, not the filing deadline. This is a really great uh, great way to be giving to charity, to organizations we care about and getting a tax benefit from it. Uh, so those are definitely ones we want to be taking a look at for our for listeners who are still working or accumulating have, have income that they need to take a look at um I, I like to just check in at this time of year to make sure that we are avoiding surprises at tax time as far as how much we might have to to pay to the irs we have one last chance to make an estimated payment in january if we need to uh, because although the filing deadline is in april the irs is a little bit anxious about when they want their money And so if we have large amounts of tax due, we need to get those paid in January, actually, to avoid uh, interest and penalties. And that also sets us up that as we go into the next year, as we go into 2023, we know if we need to be adjusting withholdings, if we should be adding a tax withholding to our Social Security benefits. That's one that gets missed by a lot of people. Uh, So there's a couple of things that just immediately come to mind that we should definitely be checking in in on and thinking about right now.
0: Yeah, I've got a, a follow-up question on the QCDs, because that is a hot topic right now. Uh, and so let's take the scenario of someone that has... Uh, they're they're 72, so they're in RMD age. For anyone listening, that's required minimum distributions on your pre-tax assets, like your IRA, IRAs, 401ks, 403bs. At age 72, the government requires you to start taking a distribution out of those accounts. There's a special formula to it, but ultimately results in money that you have to take out regardless if you want it or not. So... And pay taxes on it. That's the big thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so Stephen, we have a scenario: say, if someone that has reached seventy-two, they have a let's just make up a number, a thirty-thousand-dollar required minimum distribution that they need, and they don't really need any of that money. Um, can you explain how it how the QCD works and how that could be very advantageous to them? They are very charitably inclined.
3: Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that last point of they're very charitably inclined. We we have to remember that taxes should go into our consideration. They should not be the primary reason we do something, because if we weren't going to give the dollars to charity, we're essentially paying a dollar to save 30 cents, and that math just doesn't work out. But for uh taxpayers, for listeners out there who are charitably inclined, a QCD is a way to get those dollars directly to a charity. And so the logistics here are important, because if we... If we distribute that money from an ira we cash the check put it in our bank account and then give it to the organization we care about we've we've at that point we have to give a big chunk to the irs and less of our hard-earned money goes to the charity that we want to support what a qcd does is it allows us to give directly to that charity uh many iras uh will allow us to actually get a checkbook so we can literally write checks out of the ira to that charity and we need, we got to make sure that's done before the end of the calendar year. That's not something that we can wait and do by the filing deadline. But it does a couple of things for us. It allows us to give to that charity and get a, a, a tax deduction for it, whether we itemize or not, uh, which is huge because 90% of taxpayers at this point take the standard deduction. So for the vast majority of taxpayers, there, there is no tax benefit to charitable giving unless we are very proactive and intentional about it, Uh, an added benefit of a QCD as opposed to just giving directly to charity is that it comes out a little bit higher up on our tax return. And we we won't get into all the line numbers and and technical terms there, but what that does for us is that it gives us a little bit more room on some of the credits we might be eligible or some other things on our tax return that there's just kind of the added bonus of doing a QCD. So it's certainly worth looking at if you're charitably inclined and if you're over the age of 70 and a half.
1: Great. So... Uh, we're gonna segue. We're gonna keep on this topic a little bit about charity, and I just think because you know these are again things that people could do right now at the end of the year if they chose to do so, that could potentially help them for 2022. Uh, so let's talk about that. So you talked about a couple of things: the standard deduction. Before we go much more, could you explain real brief? Because we use that term, and I don't know that everybody understands it because they just get it and they just go, "Oh, this is my taxable income." Real quick, what is the standard? Deduction from a from a definition, and then and then an amount of money.
3: Yeah, so for our folks out there that are married filing jointly, uh, for 2022, the standard deduction is twenty five thousand nine hundred dollars. And and to your point, Ray, and what that means is that the IRS is essentially saying, okay, we're gonna t- we're gonna start with your income that could potentially be taxable. And then just right off the top, we're gonna let you deduct $25,900 of that. We're gonna take almost $26,000 and we're just gonna say, nope, that piece is not taxable. And that amount went up significantly a few years ago with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. It used to be a little bit more complicated as far as who could itemize versus take the standard deduction. Uh, and a lot of us were kind of raised on this idea that somehow itemizing is a win. And honestly, I look at it as if we're taking the standard deduction, that means we get to deduct uh, expenses that we didn't have to spend. So I I look at it as a win, but but yes, that standard deduction is money that we just get to take out of our taxable income regardless of what else we have going on.
1: Okay, so now that's gonna segue into this next part of the conversation, because we were talking about this prior to our uh, doing this particular podcast episode. And we were talking about there are ways that people can take it advantage of things that they're already going to do when it comes to charity but maybe but, but, but maybe we can get them into a scenario where we get above that standard deduction and I just want you to explain maybe why a person might do that so let's just take an example real quick let's say you just said that the standard deduction is nearly twenty six thousand dollars yep. so let's say that a person and I'm just going to use some numbers to make the math simple. Normally donates to their church, and they are they are uh, charitably inclined, or they to whoever they donate to, it doesn't matter who they donate to, but they donate fifteen thousand dollars a year, so that's below that twenty six thousand. So they don't really get a lot of benefit from that. Up and above the fact that they are kind of getting it counted within the twenty six thousand, right? Am I doing the, everything right so far?
3: Yep. Until we have deductions that get us over that twenty six thousand, great. We supported a charity, but we didn't get any tax benefit. You're exactly right.
1: right. So, there are tools. One is called a donor advised fund that I'm able to now say, hey, for the next three, four, five years, I know I'm going to give my charity $15,000 a year. So, let's just make the math easy and work off of a three year deal. So, if I took a donor advised fund, I could take $45,000, which is three years of my donations, and put it into that donor advised fund and get my deduction this year for the 45,000. Now am I might now I'm going to ask you a question. If I do that, is there benefit and why would there be benefit?
3: Yeah, so if we if we so let's let's work out the math here real quick. So if we now instead donated forty five thousand dollars this year, and one of the cool things about the donor advice fund is it still leaves us control of when and how we donate those funds. We have to say that these are going to go to charity, but we can still contribute those to whatever charity over the next couple of years. But so great now we've contributed forty five thousand dollars or given forty five thousand dollars to a charity, which is above and beyond the standard deduction by about nineteen thousand dollars. Uh, and so that means in this year when we create the donor advised fund, we now can itemize and get that deduction for $45,000. And in the next two years, when we presumably won't have a charitable contribution because we just front-loaded it all, we still get the standard deduction of that $26,000. And it, it goes up a little bit every year. So we got an additional benefit this year, which – depending on our tax bracket, that could easily be four or five thousand dollars in tax savings this year. so th- this this is real money uh, and my experience working with with hundreds and hundreds of taxpayers is that there's a very emotional connection to saving on taxes and that's a huge win even uh, at times even if we can just save several hundred or a thousand dollars, let alone four or five thousand dollars in, in your example here uh, that those are those are real tax savings right now in this year and we don't hurt ourselves in future years because we still get that standard deduction. this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcasts
0: and check us out. Yeah, and I think for anyone listening, the donor advice fund, it is a it is a uh, a really good strategy. And we do have intentions on diving deeper into that on a on a future podcast. So uh, stay tuned for that. But I want to move over to another topic. So you mentioned there's some end of year deadlines. And uh, a big one that we know of is Roth conversions, right? So I think some people when they get to April of next year, when they're filing their taxes, and they're like, oh, I've got some window, I've got a window here in my tax bracket, let me do a Roth conversion. And they, they confuse that with the ability to do a Roth contribution. Um, and And so I want to talk about that real quick. And then You know, because the the person that's not at RMD age right now, they're like, oh, I'm not 72 yet. Uh, I don't have to worry about RMDs. But a huge strategy that a lot of our clients are implementing right now is, what if I could get my IRA balances, i.e. my future RMDs down by the time I reach age 72? And the way that we do that uh, is Roth conversion. So let's talk about the difference between a conversion and a contribution. And then also, how do you talk to people about what uh, or h- how do they make the decision on Do I should I do a Roth conversion or not?
3: Yeah, great questions in there, Merce. Uh, so yeah, the IRS doesn't really do us a lot of favors in how deadlines are structured, because you would like to think that everything related to Roth could all be due on the same day. To make it simple for us, it's not. To your point, we can make contributions up through when we file our taxes, even into the next calendar year, we got to be really careful with how we assign those to which year it applies to. But distributions from an IRA have to happen by the end of the calendar year. And to do a Roth conversion, that's the first step, right? We've got to distribute the money out of the IRA and then uh, move it over into a Roth. And so we got to get that first step done before the end of the calendar year. Uh, so we want to make sure the, the logistics are dialed in that's why it's great that clients can work with advisors like you guys to make sure that those things get lined up and done correctly it's really important we get the dates right but then to your your second question of okay well well, why would someone do this how how would we step back and say yep this applies to me and i should go ahead and move forward or, or consider start looking at how much to do and in general the way i frame that conversation we want to look at, at at two things the the first is Roth gives us not just potentially tax savings, but also tax flexibility. So one way to think about this is, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Client, all of my fictitious clients are Bob and Sue. So we can say, Bob and Sue, someday you're going to need a large chunk of money. Hopefully that's for something fun like an RV or a fun trip with your family. It could be for something less fun like a new roof on your house or medical expenses. Would it be all right if we work together to create a tax-free bucket that would give us flexibility to pull those funds out when we get to that situation? And so there's that flexibility piece to say, let's look at our different potential sources of income, and are we going to run into this issue where when we need funds, one of our biggest considerations is, well, how much is the IRS going to take? And so part of it is just that flexibility. The other piece is, uh, are you concerned at all that tax rates might go up in the future? Because if tax rates go up in the future, whether because... You know, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expires in 2025 and we already know they're going to go up in 2026, whether that's because we think that personally we're going to make more money in the future when our RMDs kick in or we start taking Social Security, or that we think Congress might, you know, change their minds and increase tax rates from what currently are, you know, historic lows. If for any of those reasons we think tax rates might go up in the future, if we convert to Roth now, we essentially are paying the taxes at a discount because we get to pay them, we get to pay the taxes at today's rates and then our Roth bucket is gonna grow tax-free. So anytime there's concerns uh, or the potential that a client's tax rates might be higher in the future, uh, then we absolutely wanna look at getting dollars into Roth now while the tax rates are relatively low. The the other thing I would throw out uh, as far as things to consider for listeners thinking about their own situation is a really great time to be thinking about this is between retiring and then taking Social Security or RMDs kicking in. A lot of people end up with a few years where their income is lower than it's been when they were working, and it's lower than it's going to be when Social Security and RMDs fully kick in. And so, again, we have this chance to essentially – decide, be, proactively pay taxes at what ultimately turns into a discount because in the future, our tax rate is going to be higher. All
1: right. I, thank you. I've got a couple of questions on this. To, let me have two questions, Merce. Yep. Go okay. ahead. All right. <laughs> so I get this, we get this a lot from folks. and They'll say, uh, they'll ask a question. I just want you to explain this real brief. If you could, they'll say, Hey, what is the tax on a Roth conversion? Like what's that rate on the Roth. It's almost like they think there is a there's a specific amount of money percentage-wise that is on that Roth conversion. Could you explain kind of obviously this goes a little bit into our whole tax code but but just the the big idea here how does it get get taxed?
3: Yeah, so a little bit. It depends on your age, actually, because there there are some potential uh, penalties and restrictions on doing those conversions if you're under the age of 59 and a half. But let's, we're, we're, we'll move past that. A lot of the people that we work with on this are over that age, and we're strictly talking about what's the income tax going to be. So we're going to focus on that piece. And so this this is really impacted by what we what we call our marginal tax rate. There, there's not going to be a quiz. Nobody needs to commit that to memory. The important part is is how much tax do I pay on my next dollar of income? And so we do have to look at what your other income sources are, and then how much uh, we're going to convert to Roth, because that does it, it intentionally increases our. Uh, taxable income in the current year so we can pay those taxes and be done with it. And so it's going to depend on your filing status. It's going to depend on what other income you have, but there isn't a set rate, which is why we can be strategic and we can take advantage of relatively low tax rates uh, for people who are strictly... Uh, funding their retirement through cash for a period of time, we might be able to convert at 0%. That's my favorite percent to convert at. Uh, but there's there's a lot of situations we come across where we're converting at, at, 10, at 10 or 12 or 22%. Um, and, and again, depending on the situation is going to affect what, what percentage it makes sense to convert at.
1: Good. Okay. I'm going to do a follow-up now. And uh, just so everybody knows who's listening, I, you know, some of these things we throw at Stephen, we've not This is not rehearsed, so I'm going to throw them a scenario, (laughs) and uh, we'll see if we can follow the math, okay? All right, so we have a couple of clients that right now have done what I'm about to describe, meaning they've set themselves up for this, and a couple that are planning to retire, say, next year, and they're kind of set themselves up for this. But here's the scenario. I got a person who is under 72, so no required minimum distributions. They have some money in the bank, cash that's already been taxed. And so when they retire, they on purpose have set themselves up so that um, they um, are not going to have any taxable income that year. And they kind of like talk about that and they go, "I, you know, it feels good. I'm going to have a year where I don't pay any taxes because I'm going to live on this other money. And then eventually I'm going to get my social security and I know that that'll come in, but for right now, I'm going to do this. Now, We talked just briefly earlier about this thing called the standard deduction. So we're talking about a couple. They got $26,000 deduction. So I want to ask you first, this person has zero income. How much could they convert at a 0% tax rate?
3: Yeah, for a couple that's married, filing jointly, we could convert up to $26,000. We would create $26,000 of income. That would then immediately be offset by that $26,000 standard deduction, and we would pay 0% tax to get $26,000 into a tax-free bucket.
1: Yeah, I think that's a big eye-opener to people. They don't think about it that way. Now, if they wanted to convert a little bit more, then then how, how does that work? And we don't have to go through the whole thing, but just just say they decided, I'm going to convert $40,000. And you yes, don't have so them- to give us the exact numbers. I'm not trying to throw exact math at you. I, I,
3: I do have a cheat sheet on my desk that I like okay. to keep handy. Uh, so for again, for a couple that's married <coughs> married filing jointly, if we got up to forty thousand dollars, most likely that that we get the we would definitely get the twenty-six thousand dollars at zero percent. The the next portion would most likely be at ten percent. And so we're just gonna work our way through those tax brackets. Uh, but yeah, we have a huge opportunity there. And then Raiden, right th- th- this would have to be a conversation for a whole other podcast. But the thing to think about f- even further than that is that we can also look at intentionally recognizing capital gains because our 0% bracket for long-term capital gains is actually much bigger than just the $26,000 standard of deduction. And so when we have those years, w- when I come across people who have years with little or no income, my eyes light up and I say, okay, let's, let's really dive deep on this and see how much we can take advantage of at little to no tax.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. So um, uh, this this episode has really been about, hey, we're approaching the end of the year. Some things that we need to be thinking on. A quick summary, everyone, is think about your withholdings. Uh, think about things you haven't done yet, like your RMDs. Those are due by 1231. QCDs due by 1231. Roth conversions due by 1231. And then uh, work work with your CPA or someone just to be thinking about other things you could be doing uh, to make your tax uh, tax scenario a little bit more efficient. I know, uh, Raiden. I think you have one more question as we close out, just to get this idea, this uh, uh, take from Stephen on uh, an act that was passed that made a little a lot of people nervous about the IRS is coming after us now. So. Yeah, just
1: real brief as we close out here, Stephen, we had this Inflation Reduction Act, and there has been some, you know, uh, the media loves to kind of pump it up and make us fear that there's a big problem happening um, when sometimes it might not affect us. But this Inflation Reduction Act, for the for the average person, you know, that's, that's out there working, how does it affect them?
3: Yeah, so overall there there's a lot of things floated related to taxes as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, but for probably the vast majority of your listeners for a lot of Americans, there's not going to be a direct impact. The one that felt the scariest was this headline of the IRS got funding to hire 87,000 agents. And I'm sure for most people this what immediately comes to mind is these are all going to be gun-toting enforcement uh, officers who are going to come to their house and, and take all their money and their cat along with them. Uh, and that, that's, just, that's just not the case. Part part of it was that the IRS was already uh, grossly understaffed just from a service standpoint. Uh, we won't get into the the philosophical political side of what the IRS funding should be. We just now know that they've got more funding. Hopefully that means that their, their customer service will improve. It certainly will mean that they have more enforcement officers, but the chances of your Average taxpayer getting audited are still very, very unlikely. Uh, And one of the questions that I get as a tax professional is, okay, are you going to do anything different now that there's going to be more IRS agents? And my answer is a very confident and quick, no, I'm still going to approach my job the same way. I've always approached this from the philosophy of, of we should pay every dollar we owe. We just shouldn't leave a tip. And so anytime I'm making a recommendation to to a client, I'm doing that within the back of my mind. If I had to sit in front of an IRS agent and explain this, could I do that with a straight face? So is there a slightly bigger chance that questions could come up? Sure. Does it in any way change how I'm gonna make recommendations to clients? Absolutely not.
1: Well, thank you very much, uh, Stephen. We appreciate you coming on. I do want to do a quick reminder. If you've listened to this and you're on a walk or you're in your car and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I, there's a lot that was said. We do have a blog that's written on this as well. You can go to our website, which is pomwealth.net. Go to the blog page. You'll see an entire article written on this particular topic. And if you have a question for Mercer myself, we're glad to hop on a call. You can go to the website, top right-hand corner, click on schedule call, and we're glad to hop on a 15-minute complimentary, no obligation phone call to kind of walk you through some of these concepts. But again, thank you very much, Stephen. And we hope to have you back here in a few months.
3: Absolutely. I love coming on, guys. Keep it up.
2: All right, everyone. That wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster